You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 453, a very Beatlish quiz. Apparently, it's boom time for podcasts and reconsidering the worst records of all time. That's all coming up after Suede and Beautiful Ones. Suede compilation during the week and when this popped up I was reminded what a glorious moment it was in the mid 90s when Brett Anderson was at his most Brian Ferriest in looks mm-hmm, true. And, the, and the band were their most David Bowieist um, it, it musically <laughs> um, number 8 in the UK in 1996 Suede and Beautiful Ones that is um, that is that is immense i think that is so good i'm such a huge fan of it and like you say suede it's funny that everyone always goes on about oh yeah they liked suede when they very first you know came along and you know they were at their best with bernard butler in them etc my first experience of suede as a teenager was the coming up album which this comes from mm. and which allegedly was their their, their attempt to write tanks by t-rex 
<laughs> so I think he's brilliant. And I I love everything on that record. And the next one, actually, Head Music, which is occasionally maligned, but I that's got She's in Fashion and Electricity, etc. on it. And I those two records, I think, are phenomenal. And actually, Suede are one of those rare bands who seem to be, be a, being able to make a decent fist of it, Reunited. Um, not the Butler lineup, but the later lineups Reunited. And I had the pleasure of seeing them. Um, I can't remember what year it would have been, but it was certainly three or four years ago at the yeah, Dead of I remember you talking yes. about it. Yes, yeah. and they I mean, he was phenomenal. It was their Glastonbury warm-up, and their Glastonbury performance got written up as being outstanding, and it was brilliant. For everybody that had been in Bex Hill that watched Glastonbury on the telly, went, yeah, he was better in, in Bex Hill, though, wasn't he? They were. I mean, he just did not stop. He was incredible. So I'm, I'm so pleased to see Brett Anderson looking so well. The books that he's written, his memoirs, are both fantastic. It's really nice that he kind of came through what could have been a very dark time, and it probably was actually, and 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 managed to sort of come out the other side in fine fettle. I mean, it's it's that that record is timeless. I think I think it will stay with us forever. Thank you very much for joining us for the Parish Council podcast. It's episode four hundred and fifty-three. I'm Terence Stackham, and okay, listeners. Get ready for this. We've just played Suede, right? Okay, bear that in mind. Right. Well, let's hope we don't have to persuade her to join us. It's Juliet Harris. Oh, groan. I mean, you know, what am I meant to say to that? Although, hilariously, I am wearing a denim shirt that has brown suede elbow patches on it. So, uh, so in terms of you persuading me to join, I suppose I could be suede. Hello. <laughs> oh, very good. You see? Yeah. Yeah, 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 right off the bat, that was very, very I, good. I, 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 you know, what could I say? We are simpatico. We are, <laughs> we are, I'm here for you at all times. Now, I know, let's start with a quiz. That'll be a novelty. Um, <laughs> I'm going to test you, the listener, and you, the Juliet, with your Beatles knowledge. Mm-hmm. And specifically, no more pan pipes under any circumstances. No pan pipes, no pan pipes this week. Yeah. Specifically, Beatles Middle Eights. Um, Mm. Uh, just a quick note, by the way, to anyone who is planning to tweet me and say, I think you'll find that's called a bridge, not a middle eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, hey, Sherlock, take a day off. Yeah, yeah. right. So eight Beatles middle eights. Um, because I'm being extremely generous and giving you far more than the usual five seconds. Ooh, um, we'll yeah, okay. We'll break it up into two groups of four. So you're going to hear uh, right, okay. four first. And um, one point for each middle eight identified. A bonus point for spotting the band. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, have you had a large blow to the head? This is exceptionally generous. Well done. I know. Um, right, here we go. Um, easy one to get you going, as, as so often. Thank you. Woke up, fell out of bed. To comb across my head Found my way downstairs And drank a cup And looking up I noticed I was late Well, the Jolly girls Really knocked me out Woo! The West behind And my school girls Make me sing and shout That Georgia's always on First four Beatles middle eights. I mean, four total crackers to start with. I was air drumming. I was air drumming along because I thought I wanted to sing along and I thought, well, I better not do that. Could be very good. I could have, I was air drumming. I equally could have been singing and clapping. So great. I mean, I mean, these, these are, I mean, to be honest, it, you, you'd struggle to pick a loser by the Beatles. And some listeners may may disagree, but um, but I, you know, I, you know how much I love the Beatles, so this is great. Thank you. So the first one is a day in the life. Correcto. Which which is possibly my favourite song of all time. It's certainly in the top five. I think it's a wonderful record, multifaceted. Um, I, I imagine you're going to say it's by the Beatles, so I'll take I, that. As... It is by the Beatles. Yeah, Secondly, by the Beatles. Yes. Um, 
And we have back in the USSR. Yes, it was their sort of uh, Beach Boys pastiche. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. So such a great, but 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 not un- dis- not unaffectionate. In fact, if anything, mm. far the opposite. You know, a real embracing. Mm. I think of the Beach Boys. Thirdly, by the Beatles, um, <laughs> a hard a hard day's night. First film, my dad took me to go and see it in black and white at the cinema in Staines. Yeah, lovely. Um, and fourthly, I think this is by the Beatles. I'm going to guess yes. that. Well done. Yes, it is by the Beatles. Oh, yes. Thanks. And uh, that is, um, well, uh, thank you for playing it for me, from me to you. Very good. Very good. Now, that, that's um, eight out of eight so far. Now, Can I does... give you a bonus fact about the, yeah, the, the, the section that you played me as well? Yeah. That it contained the line, eight arms to hold you. Yes. Which was the working title for Help. Oh, of course it was. And yes, yes, also yes. Also, na- the name of an album by Veruca Salt. Oh. He took it from that. Uh, 90s, all girl, or, or mostly girl kind of noised as Veruca Salt. Yes, again, let down by picking a stupid name. It's probably why they didn't uh, make it. I, I have less trouble with Veruca Salt mm. than I do with, for example, Murray the Hump. Who were who? who yes, yes. Yeah. And to be honest, if we're going to pick at stupid names, how how the the Beatles pun is weak at best, isn't it? I suppose it so. When you really and think it, about and it, and it didn't hold them back, did it particularly? Yeah, you make a fair point. Right, four more coming. Um, here we go again. I hope at least one. There could be a couple in here that test you, but we'll see. Life is very short. I mean, as as you were saying, you know, I mean, breaking news. How great were the Beatles? I mean, when I was putting that together, it was such fun. And no matter how many times we hear these tracks, they just bring such elation, don't they? They they, they really did change a monochrome world into full living colour. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I think it's, I think it's that it, that sums it up. They're just hearing those songs. Uh, our, I think we spoke about our old. We have lots of old friends on this on this podcast. Marie Kondo, one of our many old uh, friends. Yes. Um, I will Does never it bring joy. I will never remove Beatles records from my house because they always spark joy in your face, Marie. That they need to stay with me. So one of these, I'm not sure on. Oh, okay. Number seven, I'm struggling with. Okay. But Oh, we can we can deal with the others, and one of them is actually my favourite Beatles middle eight of all time. So thank you very much for picking it. So number five is we can work it out. Correct. Is that Enjoy- the one? Is that the f- no, your favourite? No, my oh. favourite is the next one, which is the things we said today. That was one I thought. Wasn't sure you get because it, it's a it was a really? B side. Yeah. So so good, so good the way this one I'm not sure on. I, this is a guess. I don't think it's right, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to guess that I'll be back. No, but you're bearing in mind it's like with any other guy, and it repl- it uh, rhymes with guy. The title is like yeah. I know. I'm trying to think. Um, no, I don't know. I'm going to have to say. They no, said you weren't at home when I can. Oh no, reply. Yes, yes. They're not. I can't have that. I mean, they're not. They're not entirely dissimilar. I'll be back and that. I can. I can see why I was hearing it. I'm but give it- you half a point for that. Well, that's that's overly generous. Thank you. And then the last one is, of course, the brilliant ticket to ride. Yes. So that is all by the Beatles. They're all by the Beatles. So you scored fifteen and a half out that of sixteen. Is, that is not Which bad. Is pretty impressive I, for someone no. who wasn't even born within twenty years of most of those. I mean, I was going to say I was I was at least alive for a little bit of the Wings era, I think. Yes. But um, but yeah, I um yeah, great great records I have not lived through. I think they all they all count on that. But I mean, I I was I you know I'm a little bit tough on myself because I was obsessed with the Beatles when I was younger. I mean, genuinely, there were you know all of the tapes. You know, I had all the time, and and you know I still do love the Beatles. I probably don't listen to them enough. Maybe that's a lockdown goal to listen through all the Beatles. 
titles from start to finish. I think that that would be that would be a really good thing. Perhaps be a great thing to do when the everyday start right at the beginning, play one Beatles album a day in chronological order, yeah, right absolutely. through to uh, Let It Be, yeah, and, and then uh, and then maybe go back and do the compilations after that. Possibly. Yes, past so, masters exactly. and so yeah, on, yes. and at the BBC and the old, Red. Yes, I yes, mean the red one, I, the blue I, one. Mm. Well, I'm of the generation where the first the first tape I uh, well the first tapes I ever owned. I uh, the first legitimate tapes I ever owned. I was bought a rock and roll compilation and a Buddy Holly tape for uh, best of for for I think I was seven or eight for Christmas. My parents gave me a uh, regret to say hooky version of um, of the Beatles sixty seven to seventy. Oh, that was my first proper album. And uh, some friends copied rocking all over the years the best of status quo onto a hooky tape for me, which I was also very keen on. But but the Beatles sixty seven to seventy. That was the first sort of Beatles tape that I had. I've still got it, I think, that I just played and played and played. And that was and then I think I got read a little while after that. And then it took me ages. I wasn't a teenager until I actually got all the proper albums. And I and this is why I'm always a little bit unsure of people sneering at greatest hits because for a lot of us that didn't have you know enormously rich families or you know families with a lot of cultural capital say that was our way in that's how we learned who they were that's how we and then eventually when i was a teenager i then in the age of virgin megastore started saving up and buying stuff like abbey road and revolver and i i had a cousin actually that had I think it was the Reader's Digest Beatles box set. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. That no, it had eight records in it, and it ran in roughly chronological order. But they, but they weren't the proper albums, if you see what I mean. Uh, so copyright dodge, and that's how I heard most of Revolver and realised that I wanted to buy Revolver, and then I wanted to buy Abbey Road. So I will Do you never. Mean they were like cover versions. They were done by the kind of you know. No, 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 they weren't. They were the re... they were the proper things. I think but, it was a Reader's uh... Digest box set, but they were just so they were. You'd have like record number one, and oh, then like right. twelve songs on it. Record number two, and but they weren't. They were sort of oh, loosely wrapped around the albums, and they were in chronological, but they weren't the proper albums. Probably so it was worth a fortune now. Probably, yeah. I think she still got it, but um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was. I think it was Reader's Digest. It was something like that, and yeah, it was yeah, this weird, weird, um, sort of semi-official compilation. Um, mm. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, yeah, Reader's Digest Beatles box set. Not, um, I had no uh, idea. com is offering you one for £125. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released in 1980. Oh, I see. I I, right, so it was years after the event. I thought it was yeah. like some and contemporary and, thing. Okay. And it's called the Beatles, it's the Beatles Box, and it's sometimes referred to as the Beatles from Liverpool. Because see, it, I made a classic mistake there, because I always correct myself on this, because we always think, oh, that's going to be worth a fortune. And then when you look it up, it isn't, because you sort of then remember, you know, there were sort of 200,000 yeah. mean, of them it's, it's, printed it's, up. It's, it's worth something, but it's not worth. Um, no, not the ten thousand pounds. Absolutely, I it's it's. Um, but it's the the interesting thing that gives it a little bit of curio value is it was the last Beatles release issued during John Lennon's lifetime. Of course, it would have been yes. So, yeah. So actually, it's, uh, 1980, yeah, yeah. And, and and interestingly, it's a mix of. So looking at it, it's a it's a mix. Of, some of the versions are not the proper versions if you see what i mean so so the love me do is the original uk single version with ringo star on drums uh the ps i love you is the mock stereo remix from please please oh, me so it's kind of a, a she loves you is a mock stereo remix from a collection of beatles oldies so i suspect that they managed to get round it there's a mix of mono and stereo versions um i feel fine is the whisper version that was first on the uk version of the red album so there's a, a there's enough that's different on there I suspect that there was possible rights reasons involved in it. The version of Day Tripper is the version that was on the US today, yesterday and today mix, if you see what I mean. Oh, yes, yes, sorry about that. So it's worth uh, the Penny Lane version is the US ra- rarities edit. It's, it's, you know, it's it's a funny little thing. It's a, it's, it's a curio. So actually, I will always, I'll always defend Grace's hits and compilations <laughs> because um, they're not always necessarily that straightforward, as that's shown, I think. Any route into the Beatles is a legitimate route, it has to be said. Absolutely, yeah, sounds legit. According to the Observer newspaper this week, it's boom time for podcasts. Mm, Well, this is boom time for something, I suppose. Is it now? Well, that's next after Don't Worry, It's Not That Version, (laughs) Elton John. You can never know what it's like. 
We have spoken previously on, on this podcast in less than glowing terms, as you alluded to, of, of Elt's version of that at the recent One World concert and how it was basically somebody shouting through their nose outside a hedge, um, which is, you know, not it, it wasn't it wasn't his finest hour, I feel. Um, you know, it, I think it was heartfelt, but heartfelt and good don't necessarily you know, logically follow. But I, I felt that we deserve to hear it properly because I think this record is incredible incredibly underrated and actually part of the frustration of that performance was that it wasn't him at his best or this song is at his best because I think this song particularly at the moment when we're going through such a rough time is actually incredibly inspiring I think it's I, I love how peppy it is it's got a real kind of oomph to it a real sense of purpose um i liked it to use in the rocket man film i know we, we slightly disagreed over how much we liked that but um i i thought it was great in that that it was kind of seen his his sort of comeback i love the sort of kitsch idea of bruno tollioni being in the video i think that's great as as choreographed by arlene phillips both going on to be strictly come dancing judges so i i, I just I, I i think it's great i think elton john has written him and bernie topin's lyrics uh, i think are so they're so inspiring and i think that it's 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 a it's a you know it's a sparkling song i love the production i love the solo it's it's proper classic elton sort of solo guitaring soloing it's right up there with the beautiful string break on uh, don't go breaking my heart i think in terms of what middle eight like we say in terms of a, a sort of a bridge i think it's awesome so i'm a i'm a huge fan of this record so i thought i'd like to hear it in its natural habitat as opposed to its rather unnatural habitat presence of hedge notwithstanding i remember when uh, that was released elton was going through a kind of weird time he got married to renata a few months later <laughs> but i recall a big influence on it being a hit was its video because it was the <laughs> dawn of mtv and they more or less had it on 
rotation. Yes. And it was all glamour and the Cote d'Azur and um, fitted in very well with all their Duran Durans and their Hall and Oats and so on. And I think that really helped um, shove it uh, right yeah. up the top of the charts. I, I think so. And interestingly, we can once again add this to records that are older than me, if we're keeping it on is that. indeed, yes. 3rd of February 1983, that was released. So, but yeah, from the album Two Lover Zero, but you're right, it really was the kind of the... Um, it it really was sort of um a, 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 a like you say a, an MTV sponsored hit yes, really. Was. I love the fact that um it was directed by Russell uh, Mulcahy um and uh, the video was due to be shot over the course of two days, but a camera's a camera full of the first day's film was ruined when Mulcahy accidentally fell into the sea oh, that's with it. Right, he I, fell into the sea, didn't he? And they lost a full day. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. wonder if um. I wondered. I wondered if it should have been a. It, it, it should have been a. You know, drink might have been taken. But I love the fact that this goes on to say during the shoot for the video, John came across Duran Duran. Um, he complained he was exhausted at having been up since four o'clock in the morning, and Simon Le Bon decided John should have a martini. So I did. John later recorded, I had six. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I love the idea of six Martini Elton John doing doing that video. It's funny watching the, the video because it was a period as well that Elton John was going through wearing contact lenses because he was <laughs> you know, trying, to, trying to sort of um, re-establish himself um, as, a, you know, sort of young and, and um, yeah. part of the scene. And you can tell that they re- really don't get on with him at all because in that video, which, mm. of course, was in the, in, in the south of France in the bright, hot summer's day yes, with no course, other clear yeah. sky, he's kind of squinting at the camera. His eyes are <laughs> pinched up because, you know, he just could not get on he with contact. Yeah, yeah, interestingly, on the sleeve for the single, he is wearing multicoloured glasses. Oh, is he? OK. Yeah, maybe they got to the point where he just said, look, I cannot... <laughs> with any more I need to put these glasses on I go blind yeah so uh, but no I think it's uh, I think it's got great joie de vivre that uh, that 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 tune I think it and and I love its defiance I love its and and it I I feel like I could do with some defiance at the moment so so I I like that you know the lockdown is hard and I I like I find it quite and also it's quite cheery and upbeat and and you know we'll talk about the the smooth sailing show I'm doing at the end of the show but I am tending towards slight musical comfort food at the moment which is why I will definitely do this Beatles listen and perhaps we could perhaps we could both do it and talk about it yeah I'm I'm all for that hey that's good man we're well into our 10th year of presenting this award-winning uh, podcast. And <laughs> when... <laughs> We're not well into our 10th year, could I just point out. Even I am not that young. And um, when we started, there weren't too many others about. There was uh, Ricky Gervais um, poking fun at that other chap. Oh, Pilkington. Yeah. yeah, Pilkington, yeah. Uh, the Word podcast, of course, Ollie Mann and Helen Saltzman. Uh, but not yeah. many. There weren't many about yeah. with us. And it was a time when people said, you host a what? What's a, what, you know, what's a podcast? Well, by the time I turned up, it was already a thing, but it certainly wasn't when you started this uh, no, shit. No, no. Hur- but then we hurtle on 10 years, and you can't turn on your smart device, tablet, laptop, computer, without podcasts leaping out at you, a bit <laughs> like hungry puppies eager for your attention. Um, it may be time to stop calling podcasts podcasts, because... The margin between radio and podcasts has become completely blurred now with with many broadcasters, including the BBC, either pushing out a condensed version of a radio show or even the full unedited show and calling it a podcast. Mm. So what is a podcast? Now, this week in your The Observer... The mm. lovely uh, Miranda Sawyer says, who, who, to be fair, has been a, has been a has been a kind of a voice pushing podcast for many years before they were really fashionable. She really has been there at the beginning, I think. Certainly has. Um, she says it's boom time for podcasts, but will going mainstream kill the magic? What's the answer to that, Jules? Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it, really? I am an enormous podcast fan. I've been a voracious consumer of podcasts, and indeed was a listener to this podcast until I ended up on it, which felt a bit a bit surreal, really. I can't say I enjoy listening to it so much now that I am on it, I must admit. I, I feel that I've... Uh, I mean, I like the bits you do, obviously. They're great, but I just, you know, it seems a bit weird listening to myself, mostly because I'm just so annoying. My apologies to anybody. I listened to, to this the other day. And, oh, why, why have you got me in this? It's ridiculous. And Anyway, I, I very much enjoy listening to podcasts, and um, the thing that I like about them, I think this is a, this is a, a fly point, is 
that there's they're meant to be i don't want to be that tedious person who stops liking a band when they become famous simply because other people like them that is pure indie snob and even if i have ever dipped my toe in those waters i am trying resolutely not to do it now hence why i'm hosting an easy listening show every week but um but i i like the idea of podcasts being a bit culty and being something that's a little bit outside of the mainstream and actually my favorite podcast which i often talk about on this but i think it's a good example here is the fortunately podcast which is hosted by by uh, jane garvey and, and fee glover who are both radio Four broadcasters have both been on radio five long established broadcasting voices on the bbc and they they started doing this podcast it would have been about three or four years ago and they are both open it is now by the way in case anyone is on i would think that most people that listen to us are probably at least aware of it because it has been such a big hit it's now one of the most downloaded podcasts i think it's had something like a million listens or something something insane and they both admit that that it took them ages to get commissioned i didn't know this but they it was born out of the fact that they were hosting they hosted the british radio awards or something similar together in about 2013 or 2014 and somebody there said to them because they knew each other but they didn't know each other particularly well but they just seemed to spark off each other and someone there said oh you should do something together the two of you work as a pairing it took them another four years to get commissioned and it was not meant to be a success it was meant to be the bbc was at a point where it felt it should do podcasts if you see what i mean it wasn't it was, it was meant to be a sort of preview show of stuff wasn't it, it was like greatest hits of the coming well, week what it was well, no, what it was meant to be i mean the bbc felt it should do podcasts at this point the bbc wasn't the bbc was sort of aware that podcasts were a thing but like you say were mostly doing them as sort of you know oh here's the best of Lauren Laverne shows this week obviously yes, yes. that sort of thing which i still do and which are about all wittertainment mayo and 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 uh, commode that sort of thing but this thing was meant to be fee glover and um jane garvey playing each it was a review show so it was meant to be them chatting and saying hello and then they were meant to do they were meant they played clips of radio four show well this is the problem they played clips of shows to each other that they enjoyed but the problem was they were mostly picking radio four shows and as miranda sawyer pointed out and actually i think she is probably responsible for fortunately success because she reviewed it in the observer and said what is the point if this is aimed at a radio four style audience because this is how these women are known if you only ever play stuff off radio four which that kind of audience would have heard already it is much better when it it's just them talking and they had a couple of guests which really worked and then when they came back for the second series they were commissioned again that bit was dropped and actually i think it's a, the, the thing about podcasts is that, that that it went from being a sort of a listening to listening to other bits of radio someone someone came up with the strap line stories that are told when the microphone's off and whoever it was that came up with that completely got what a podcast could be because the thing that makes the fortunately podcast such a joy is that they get guests on and either the guest but particularly fee Fee and jane at the beginning you learn things about them that seem to be at odds with their radio personas so actually fee glover who seems quite kind of sharp and and you know a bit sort of cool girl on the on the radio i always found it to be quite a little bit like that is a complete softie like a complete softie that thinks the world of jane that is in love with her dog and is just you know this really lovely person and and uh, jane garvey who always comes because it's quite warm on women's hour i think is the sort of the warmer half of her and jenny murray is often quite not dismissive. hard yeah yeah exactly it's uh, quite yes but anyway it's often a bit dismissive of fee glover is a bit you know it's really quite unguardedly funny on this and that's what what kind of makes it work so it's not like radio in that although it has a relationship with radio which is why they got they got commissioned there is an element of you know i can't believe what they get away with sometimes and i think that's what i enjoy about podcasts that even if them they're either not meant to be made by broadcasters they're meant to be made by people that perhaps i don't think that that ollie and and and, and helen zaltzman would ever have got commissioned for the radio 
and they, so they ended up doing this podcast, which is which is brilliant. You know, ask me this is or answer me this is great, and I really enjoy Helen's The Illusionist as well, which is about language, which is brilliant, so good, and it's and it's a way that people who you think should get on the radio but either can't or would rather not can still produce brilliant audio and it's stuff that that podcasts anyone can do a podcast and bang it up i mean we do you know can bang it up on itunes and you can kind of make some audio which isn't subject to either laborious commissioning processes or or just laborious kind of formats you don't have you know although if you have a formatless podcast it just becomes a terrible ramble equally you you don't have to be confined by traditional broadcasting rules and i think the best podcast and the joy of podcasts is that you hear something that there either isn't space for there isn't room for on the or just doesn't fit ordinary radio and actually be fair bbc have done some very good original podcasts the um um, the the uh, the 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 missing crypt the, the crypto queen one that they did recently was was absolutely brilliant the, that that sort of mystery series, but there there is something about podcasts that are meant to be a bit anarchic they're meant it they're, i think podcasts are meant to be pirate radio they're meant to be punk mm. they're meant to be people that are doing things you know if you can't or don't want to get on in the mainstream podcasts are a space that you can kind of listen to that you know that you can listen to wherever you want and admittedly the, the the line has become blurred between particularly bbc radio and podcast now that the sounds app, app has kind of muddled mushed them both into one and you can listen back to live radio because the whole point of live radio used to be you couldn't listen back to it and the joy of podcast compared to live radio was you know you can keep listening back to you you can download it and have it forever whereas so so the kind of the blurring of being able to reaccess live radio makes i suppose removes a bit of podcast appeal really but i would worry uh, the best podcasts even even if they have corporate sponsorship the best podcasts realize that they are doing something that that you know that, that they couldn't be done on radio i very much enjoy the high low which is dolly alderton and pandora sykes and they are often a, an hour and a quarter long they have a bit of a structure but not much of a structure it's just two mates chatting now it's brilliant to listen to i absolutely love it but i can understand why they're not going to find a space for that on radio in that length in that kind of format yet I find it really enjoyable. It's incredibly popular and there should be a space for it. So I worry like you that that podcasts that people want to make podcasts into very professional things. It's annoying when they're not professional or when they are particularly amateurish to the point where they are hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. But but equally, like you say, I really hope that podcasts aren't kind of buffed out polished and buffed out of what they should be which is you know slightly amateurish yet a cracking good listen um yes i I, that's so beautifully put i agree um during our time in uh producing weekly Mm. podcasts i've noticed how many new ones are launched with great fanfare and then seem to disappear just so quickly so many fall away after a handful of episodes Uh, i suppose I would say this, wouldn't I? But I don't really see it as terribly groundbreaking when a media company signs up one famous person to interview lots of other famous people. Um, It's rare that those sort of heavily produced Mm. podcasts, audio pieces, whatever, throw up anything new or noteworthy. And also, um, I think there there are two different types different worlds sorry i suppose i should say on mm-hmm. podcasts those desperately trying to monetize them which maybe works for one percent uh, yes. of podcasts and those who do it for the lols and the fun of it mm. and i'm genuinely glad that we're in that latter category you know there's no parish council t-shirts there's no patreon there's no begging <laughs> um, you for crowdfunding in, in all it, fairness there has been little demand i can't be honest but <laughs> But no, I, I I don't disagree. It's just I, I, here, you know, and I think yeah. that's I rather like that aspect of it. Yeah, I do. I like the fact that we just do this from our houses, and and of course, lockdown has meant meant that everyone's like, what should I do with my time? I know I'll do a podcast, and and it is it's a bit like radio in that everybody thinks they can do it, but actually, 
you know, whilst I'm not saying I'm the greatest in the world, I'd like to think it does take a little bit of talent to try and to try and 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 an, and an idea of what makes good audio, even if that is a different thing in a podcast. I think there has to be some kind of innate understanding. I think, but no, I agree with you. I want. I worry if you know if we started having. Um, a major label, you know, major fashion outlet. And I mean, obviously, we're both icons of fashion, so they've Without all been knocking out. They've all been knocking it out, or you and your many thousands of t-shirts, or however many it is that you have. But, um, but I, you know, but but the minute that that starts, you know, I I I never want, uh, you know, I think the good thing about podcasts is that anyone can, you know, anyone good can do them without necessarily having to go through a laborious commissioning process, and you can do it without pressure. And I think that we we would produce better material we can do what we want at the moment that's what's so cool about it we can do what we want when i'm doing my own radio broadcasting i'm always in a position where i can do what i want and we i can't imagine anything more constricting than the fear that you're going to get someone tapping on your shoulder saying oh well you know we do want to do these i mean quite a lot of the new statesman podcasts that i used to listen to had you know the government exporting is great and that kind of you know that sort of large large a large scale you know that sort of a official government adverts if you see what i mean and i would worry that if we had someone like that or say a major supermarket chain or something if say say we're being sponsored by a major supermarket chain if we wanted to do a piece one week which is i I can picture us doing this sort of piece where we talk about the joys of independent shops and how how you know how we how i've been to my local pubs it's turned into a grocers during lockdown how good my local butcher has been and then we have someone from a major supermarket chain say, mm, we'd rather you didn't talk about that this week or maybe we won't advertise on you that week and we and we become financially dependent on it. I do. I, I do. You do end up giving up part of the creative process. And of course, there was also there was always that big that big argument that, that putting your music on a film was selling out, for example, or adverts particularly was selling out. And I would always worry about, you know, if you give some of your control of the use of your content to someone else, you know, wh- where does that end up? Where do you, where do you end up going? Where does that journey take you? Because it will take you somewhere. It's naive to think that it won't. Coming up, top offers at Morrison's this week. No, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got confused there. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll help, yeah. Coming up, re-evaluating records categorised as amongst the worst records of all time. <laughs> Are they worth saving from the waves? That's next after this, not in that category, from Robert Plant.
you're um, interested and have a moment, it's really well worth looking up the lyrics to that track. They have a, a genuine poetical feel about them and a, and a stark contrast to some of the less desirable lyrics from the Led Zeppelin era. Um, lovely song from his second solo album, The Principle of Moments. As a single, it reached number 20 on Billboard, number 11 here in the UK. From 1983, Robert Plant and Big Log. Late period plant is, as you say, a much more agreeable proposition than Led Zeppelin era plant. Not least because I have told this story on the podcast before, but I will tell it again. He once held a door open for me when I was leading, leaving a cafe. So I'm always very well disposed towards Robert Plant. I think he either held it open or he sort of stood to one side and beckoned for me to go through in a very rock starry way. And it was only afterwards that the thought occurred to me that it had been Robert Plant. But um, but no, I, I I love the stuff that he did with Alison Krauss from Union yes. Station, and and you know I think he's someone who, from rather unprepossessing sort of boorish beginnings as a young rock star, has has aged with great grace. I think I'm I'm very impressed by by modern day Robert Plant. Now there are any number of lists that newspapers and particularly music papers and magazines, uh, when when they used to exist, lists that they compiled. Well, don't say that. Hopefully they'll be back. <laughs> lists that they compiled dedicated to the best this and the best that, and often also the worst of something. Now, Rolling Stone and the New Musical Express regularly ran polls, compiled lists of the worst songs of all time, and we thought we'd reevaluate some of them, and we're going to look at the first of those this week. This. this this first one was rated number one on Rolling Stone's worst songs of the 90s and number one in the NME in the 1998 award for worst single of that year. Now, in the summer of 1997, I was living in a small village in Andalusia in Spain and it was very, very quiet and peaceful, idyllic <laughs> even, you might say. That's lovely, yes. That was lovely. Until one week in, in that summer of 97. I guess some people must have rented a house for a week because for one week, for reasons unknown, someone <laughs> would blast this song around our little valley about 20 times a day for a week. So I had quite an introduction to this song, voted the worst song of the 90s. Let's just hear a 30-second clip of Aqua and Barbie Girl. Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Jules, quite the crossover of Europop, bubblegum, cartoony music. Is this the worst song ever? Well, uh, to, to kind of introduce my experience of this, um, so you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a condition called synesthesia, which is no. a, a, described as a perceptual phenomenon in which the stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to involuntary experiences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway. So there are certain people that, for example, um, taste smells, that sort oh, of thing. Oh, yes, 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 I do um, know of this, that, yes. That song tastes like Alco Pops, is, is what I would say. I'm experiencing synesthesia in, in, in the context of, of Aqua Barbie Girl. It tastes like it tastes like Smirnoff ice. It tastes like hooch. It, you know, I, I am tasting and smelling those, ter those, those incredibly fun, but terribly regrettable, regretful, sort of damaging, teeth rotting, bit bad behavior inducing things. I mean, I cannot say that I hate Barbie girl, but I know it's very bad for me. And I think that is, that is the same thing. Barbie girl was an enormous novelty pop hit, frankly. Um, it it wasn't their first single. Weirdly, they they were one of these bands. They were a, a Danish Norwegian band that had a had a couple of. They started off as a as a differently named band. They were originally called. This is this is great for Aqua fans or non Aqua fans out there. You're about to get lots of trivia that you might get to use in online Zoom quizzes, for example. Aqua's original name was Joy Speed. Which I did not know. Um, the, uh, with two of the blokes doing production, they then decided to rename themselves Aqua um, after seeing the name on a poster for an aquarium in their dressing room. 
And they then they then had a couple of singles called things like Roses Are Red and My Oh My that were sort of reasonable hits in Denmark. My Oh My apparently broke all Danish sales records by being certified gold within six days, which is just nuts, really. And they were then household names. They then released Aquarium, which was their debut album. And it has those two songs on it. And also this Barbie Girl, which was this third mm. single. And... It it was just a smash. It we it just was enormous everywhere. It made the it made the top ten of the Billboard What Hot One Hundred in America, which is just ridiculous, really, for a European pop act. That was that was insane. Um, the first interesting thing about this is that they went on to have another big hit called Doctor Jones over here, which again is much of the same sort of you know vapid sort of uh, you know the kind of upbeat Euro pop. And then they had this song called Turn Back Time, mm. which is a sort of a... a, a I remember a Dr. Jones, but I don't remember Turn Back Turn Time. Turn Back Time is a slow ballad that was used prominently in the soundtrack to Sliding Doors. If you've oh, seen Sliding I Doors, have. you probably recall that song. I won't sing it for you, but it's quite a, it, it was actually quite a mature pop record. And unlike lots of other aqua singles got loads of radio airplay and got loads of video airplay because it had seen some sliding doors which was quite a popular film it was their third single to make it to number one in the uk as of 2005 only other acts that were achieving that level of initial success in the uk are westlife and the spice girls Mm. so so that is they were unexpectedly huge but i think my favorite um my favorite (laughs) uh is a barbie girl sort of nugget is um What's termed on uh, what's termed on on Wikipedia as Mattel controversy? There, it's had its own section. Uh, so in December two thousand, Mattel, the makers of the Barbie doll, uh, filed a lawsuit against the group's record label, which has its own Wikipedia entry. If you're interested, Mattel versus MCA Records, um, claiming that Barbie Girl had damaged the reputation of the Barbie brand because there's some rather risque lyrics in it. Um, so uh, this judge is my new favourite judge, I think. Judge Alex Kaczynski, um, writing for the United States Court of Appeals in the Ninth Circuit, upheld the district um, court finding the use of Mattel's trademark in Barbie Girl fell within the non-commercial use exemption to the Federal Trademark Dilution Act. Basically, Aqua got off. Judge Kaczynski, and this is possibly one of the greatest judgments of all time, concluded his opinion by writing, the parties are advised to chill. (laughs) <laughs> the idea that that appeared that appeared in a, in, a, in a judgment is great and of course after that they they um they had a um they they did they were in the eurovision song contest 2001 um as apparently they they again uh, I love Wikipedia. This performance also con- caused controversy as a number of offensive phrases and gestures were added during the performance of Barbie Girl, which was at that time still involved in the major lawsuits. Um, they also uh, performed some songs that, uh, that year that were due to be on a third album called Couch Potato and Shaking Stevens is a Superstar. I mean, there should be more tributes to the great the Welsh Elvis himself, Shaky, in popular music. I'm a big Shaky fan you will never you will never go broke appealing to me on on shaky base grounds but um but they they didn't get anywhere they have made a couple of attempts to reform but there is something about barbie girl like i say it is i know it's hideous it's hideous on many levels yet there is something that is quite fun and a bit naughty about it i mean yeah it isn't stairway to heaven i get that it doesn't have huge amounts of musical merit in it but for what it is which is a fun pop record that kids dance about to and families enjoying Spanish resorts for for two or three months of the year that is what that record is intended to be it's not intended to be you know it's it, it's not the white album it's not you know don't judge it on those standards if you judge it on silly pop fun standards it's you know it, it is what it is and and I can't quite resist it even though I know it is doing me no good at all because it's really fun and there is something to be said for pappy records that are fun there is a place for them 
Of course, you can't judge a song's merits by its sales alone, but worth noting, as uh, you referred to, that there was hardly a country in the world where Barbie Girl didn't reach number no, one it was on the single chart. I mean, Belgium, it was, Australia, yeah. UK, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, number one in all of them. And um, no, I absolutely love it, actually, despite that noisy... <laughs> yeah, I do love it. That noisy introduction in Competer in Andalusia. Um, I still love it. It's ludicrously catchy, um, completely daft, but it is, it's, it's joyous, it's bouncy. And in many ways, it goes back through a sort of lineage of manufactured pop through the arches and Sugar Sugar and the monkeys. Yeah, I think very it's true. almost a work of genius to sit down with nothing and then conjure up this three minutes of you know, just craziness. And plus, it comes with a great video too. So in my opinion, definitely not one of the worst singers of all time. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's fun. Like you say, it's ludicrously catchy. Uh, it was successful everywhere, I think, for a reason. If it had been a truly dreadful record, it would have bombed. There has to be something in it that is catchy. And I suspect we'll probably return to this theme if we talk about similar records. Mm-hmm. There, you know, novel, novelty holiday pop can be really wearing if it is done in a cynical way, i.e. to make money. Yeah, I don't feel... I never felt that this was cynical. I never, I hear this record as a fun, daft, slightly raunchy record rather than necessarily, I think helped by the fact that they were a band, I think, rather than necessarily, they did seem like a band that had formed themselves and were sort of writing. It didn't feel like it was written by committee to me. This just feels like someone has hit upon, you know, something that they've come up with it in a room and and it is just and that's why the early Spice Girls records work as well. Wannabe is written by the to by Stannard and Rowe that worked with the Spice Girls and they just came up with an idea and just knocked it out. And and you know, people may criticize it, but records like that, you know, they enjoy and weirdly, people are gonna still know Barbie Girl, I think. I I, I can't explain why. People but I think Sugar Sugar's a really good comparison by the Arches. People still know Sugar Sugar. 56 60 years on and i think there's always a place for slightly catchy a bit empty but quite catchy and quite fun in the moment records and isn't it funny how something that's written in the that something that feels like it's an in the moment record can often last far longer than records that are sort of designed to be important and making a statement maybe maybe generations of people just want to dance whilst not particularly thinking about anything very true now, a great big thank you for joining us, as always. Yes, I, 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 you know, I concur. And you can always hear more of Juliet in two delicious <laughs> radio shows. Yes, why you would want to, I don't know. But anyway, but I, I, on, the, on the plus side, you hear considerably less of me and considerably more excellent <laughs> music, which, which you know, is the main thing, let's face it. I have a Mixler channel. If you go to Mixler, so M-I-X-L-R dot com, and search for my name, you can find my channel on there. Saturday evenings uh, from 5 till 7, I do the Saturday Social, which is Northern Soul, Motown, Mod, etc. And then on Sunday evenings from 7 till 9, I do something called Smooth Sailing, which is easy listening, yacht rock, sort of M-O-R, basically sort of magic FM, except on no budget at all, um, with no advertising. And uh, and I, yeah, and, and I just play records and talk about them. There's a little chat room on Mixed. And it's just, in these times particularly, it's just a nice nice thing to all hang out together and listen to lovely music. So so if you are not doing anything, and there are still things to do indoors, I know this, but um, if, if you are available, then do, do, have, a, do have a listen, because it's always nice to hang out. Now we're off to para 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 paradise. We are yes. What better place to go at the moment? Um, my attention was drawn to uh, to a, a, a rather a fan of the satirical website, the Daily Mash. They seem to pitch their headlines absolutely perfectly. I've never felt so seen as the, as the Daily Mash headline once that said, "36-year-old woman relieved to admit she now stops shops in M&S instead of Topshop." And I, I, you know, that absolutely hit so many things on the nose for me um, this week. Uh, Neighbour playing effing. Coldplay in his garden as if everyone isn't on lockdown. I get that Coldplay are not loved universally, and I think we've visited this on the podcast before, but everything that Coldplay do, do, I just really like. Maybe because there's a special relationship with this, because my mum loves Coldplay as well, and when I first went away to university with a laptop that could 
copy CDs. This was a very long time ago. Now we're outside the statute of limitations. Um, I used to send my parents CDs, and I sent my mum the second Coldplay album, which I owned. That I, I sent, I sent a copy to her, and she said that she couldn't listen to Clocks for years because it made her cry because she missed me so much. So I always, I always love Coldplay because I always love bands that I have a relationship with someone about. If you see what I mean. So, so there are certain bands that I share with people, and I share Coldplay with my mum. But um, I, I love this, and I. I love the escapism of this record and I do feel we live in a time where we quite want to feel that we're somewhere else and I, I think this is this has got such lovely production on it I love the um I love my I think it was Milo Exoto I love that as an album I love the kind of bright color theme of it I think it's such a, a well realized album in that the bright colors and the sort of the the, the show they have with all the lights and the powder and I, I just think it, it's it's such a a cheering album all the way through I, I just I love it I feel like it's giving me a hug I could have picked anything off this but I, I love the um, I love the sort of toy piano on this. I love the strings. I think it's just a gorgeous record. I know that they'll never be cool, but I don't really care. I just I just this always lifts my spirits. This record, so I thought I'd pick this. I thought I'd pick a couple of spirit lifters this week. What with old, old Elton cheering us on. So uh, this is Coldplay and this is Paradise. Chief. 
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Come on, Barbie, let's go party.